Do you mind if I join you? Not at all. Game is blackjack, gentlemen. $10,000 minimum bet. The king for you, sir, and the three for you. 17. Hit me. You have 17, sir. I like to live dangerously. Four. Twenty-one. Five. I'll stay. I suggest you hit, sir. I also like to live dangerously. As you wish, sir. Twenty beats your five. I'm sorry, sir. Well, I won't lie to you. Cards are not my bag, baby. Allow myself to introduce myself. My name is Richie Cunningham, and this is my wife, Oprah. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg, and I heard the bullets. I heard it all. Tristan changed the settings. Yeah. And I now hear our intro song like everyone else does. So if anyone didn't hear our If It Looks Good Kill episode. Um, as if they didn't. A weird coincidence was that for the first time, it's been going on for a while, but for the first time Greg mentioned that when I play the song, he can't hear it on his end because we do this over teams and um coincidentally that same episode i accidentally deleted all the music <laughs> from the podcast and so you the listener are sitting in there mm. when you're listening to your little podcast there and there's no music and then greg says there's no music and it's like what the fuck is going on but the music's back and now greg can hear it because i changed some settings on my yeah. computer yeah press push some buttons I think it's always important to start off the podcast with a really compelling story like that, you know? They say that the first <laughs> pod minute should always be about settings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like Draw them in. We're, doing, we're doing Austin Powers as a big movie. It may bring in some new listeners. Someone is listening to this podcast for the first time and is like, wow, I'm sticking around. If the rest of the pod is as compelling as that story, we're in business, baby. Really? We're in for a treat. A real treat. Because <laughs> we are here... To talk about Austin Powers, the spy yeah, who... Yeah, baby. Sh- oh, no. <laughs> uh, no. The International, International Man of Mystery. Mystery. What am I doing? I know. That's a good title, though, that other one. It is. Spy Who Shagged Me. Yeah. It is. Yeah. There's a bit of background noise here. Um, I apologise. There's birth- It's Saturday morning, as, as you probably know. That seems to be our regular slot. Saturday morning here. Friday evening for Tristan, Modelo and coffee. It's my Modelo hour. Modelo and coffee. There's a there's a there's a ring to that. I like that. Was that there's that dark Modelo too? Yeah, with a name that I feel uncomfortable saying. Yes. So does um. So does um. John Jones, um. UFC oh, really? goat, MMA goat. He um. <laughs> he was in Spain and he was in this shop, and he was looking at all these black <laughs> jeans, and they said Negro, on the tag. <laughs> And he yeah. lost it. And then someone's like, it, it's how you say black in Spanish. He's like, oh, carry yeah. on, carry on. <laughs> I'll send you the clip. It's pretty funny. 
Um, yeah, Modelo do have a dark beer. I, I, I love a dark beer and I went to a a, a pub um, the night before last. A pre-dinner oh, yeah. beer was being had Ah, from a good friend, Stu. Uh, happy birthday, Stu. I don't think he listens. Happy birthday, Stu. Oh, he, I take it back. Anyway, it was a, it's a craft beer pub, not my preferred, and I was having a Reshers. Yeah. Love a Reshers. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, do you have any dark beer on tap? And they literally had one dark beer out of 20 beer. They had all these beers on tap, more than you could possibly. I would have thought it would be loaded up with dark beer. I would have hoped like so, a- especially it's it's cool. I'm wearing a beanie. It's cooling down. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, there was just one and it was an Easter egg thing and I didn't wasn't I didn't want it. Didn't wasn't compelling. Easter egg thing. This is a boring Cadbury story. Cadbury cream beer. Ooh. Well, we're two for two, you know, we're killing it. No, it's a good story. Thanks, I, man. I, I can have like one dark beer. Yeah. If I'm having, if I'm going for one beer, maybe I'll have one of them. But if I'm sessioning, if I'm podcasting, it's Modelo or bust, baby. Yeah, you, you real Modelo guy. It's I like that you've you've honed in. I'm a Modelo fella. Yeah, I, I got my bodega across the street. They've always got a six pack in the fridge, and it's like ten bucks or whatever. It's very convenient. That's, I mean, I dig that immensely. And can I like it in a can? Yeah. And it's just nice and simple and bland, you know? Modelo, food for those with a fighting spirit. Oh, hey, Greg, you'll be pleased to know I was uh, presenting a strategy today to a client and I uh, used our podcast as an example of the type of cultural conversations they should try and enter. I did add the disclaimer that (laughs) this is not a sales pitch, but just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, I actually host a podcast myself. Anyway, nice. enough Please. with the stories. Let's get into the podcast. Yeah, let's get into the movie. After a delayed uh, due to man flu and extreme work conditions in the last week or so, we, we missed last week's episode and we, we reposted Batman. But we're back in uh, Spy Guys territory, man. We're in our third, fourth episode of the series. I'll play the thing. Allow myself to introduce myself. My name is Bond, James Bond. Have you ever killed anyone? Yeah, but they were all bad. Oh, come on. You're just an analyst. I present you the ballistic missile submarine way to go. Try not to fuck it up again. That's our man. Raise no ass, you psychopathic bitch. Five, four, three, two... So far, this is not blowing my skirt up, gentlemen. Wow, this has gone quick. It has gone pretty quick considering that we also <laughs> missed a week. Yeah, the year is flying by. Yeah, some good news for friends of the show. We might have a very interesting guest for our final two episodes of the series. Yeah. Uh, someone who knows a thing or two about spies and guys. Um, well, I assume he knows something about guys, but he definitely knows stuff about spies. Mm. More on that on the socials once we uh, he is a guy. confirm that. He is a guy. So, you know, it, it, the whole thing tracks. Um, we're in spy territory. We're, we're in Austin Powers, a film that came out in 1997. Mm. What can you tell us about that year, Greg? Well, many things. Uh, it was a pretty culturally dense year. Yeah. There was a bit going on. Um, one thing that happened uh, over in Japan uh, late in the mm. year, December 16th, 700 children 
suffered an epileptic attack after watching or whilst watching an episode of Pokemon. Shit. Yeah. So for the Simpsons fans what? out there, do you remember when they go to Japan and, and Homer, they all yeah. watch, he's like, oh, i got some time to kill, so he just watches the epileptic TV show. <laughs> that was a real thing, um, which is quite fascinating. Is Pokemon that crazy of a visual thing? Well, it must have been pretty flashy. Yeah. So, it, which leads us to our member, Barry, which is Pokemon at large. Pokemon. So Pokemons. 97. So I think Pokemon came out the year before, um, but 97 was its year that it came out on, on television as a TV series. Yeah. Pretty significant. I think we're a bit old for Pokemon. Well, I'm a bit old for Pokemon. I certainly missed the the thrill. <laughs> yeah, what a thrill. But, man, it's got some It's got some legs, 97, and it is still as big as ever It's today. going strong. Um, yeah. we got some words from Bruce here, my son, my six-year-old son. Bruce, tell us what you think of Pokemon. I like Pokemon because um, because it's fun and there's Explorer cards and some of these cards could go up to $12,000. Ooh. And um, my cousin has this extremely rare card that is over $20,000, um, I think about $12,000. And um, his friend told him to not to touch it that much because it's <laughs> extremely rare. Yeah, don't touch it too that much. The, the HP, it's past the max, it's 430 uh, and um. Four hundred thirty, and the max and the max damage is normally three hundred, but um that um the the damage is five hundred. Cool. And, and what about the TV? Do you like the cartoon? Yes. Are you watching it now? Um. Yes. And I dropped some of my cards. You dropped some of your cards. Do you want to say anything else about Pokemon before we before we go? I like it. I like it. Nice. There you have it, folks. Pokemon is cool and extremely fun. Oh, nice. sorry. Yes, Lola. What do you like Pokemon too? No, <laughs> I got kids makeup. And Lola's got kids makeup. Okay, kids. Nice. Okay. Thank you for your input. Have a great time at the party. Bye. Yes. I'm going to time zone. Going to time zone. Bye, Bruce. There you have it, folks. So what I think what Bruce is saying is uh, Pokemon is is the NFT of kids. Because he kind of just talked about the value. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting, isn't it? Like his head just goes to it's cool, but then just talked about the monetary value. I guess actually, to be fair, like collecting cards when I was his age was kind of a similar thing. I had a Chris yeah. Webber draft pick that was kind of a big deal. Oh, I know that one. Did you collect um, cards? Golden State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And, the, um, the rookie card? The rookie card. It was a big deal. It I used was. to collect basketball cards, X-Men cards. And briefly, baseball cards when Jordan started playing bas- baseball. Yeah. I think I bought two packs of baseball cards and I was like, yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed with basketball cards though. Yeah, I, same. I still got a shoebox full of them somewhere at my sister's house. I'm sure they're all worth nothing. Nothing special in there, but, you know. Well, I can assure you, you're probably right. I found um, I was going through some, <laughs> some um, stuff in mum and dad's garage and I found a, an old shoebox full of cards and I – 
went online and typed them in. You know, I typed in about five out of – there's a lot in there, but I, I went for the ones that looked like they were The might, ones you thought, yeah. 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 Um, and they were all effectively worthless. Really? I, I got a blood rush when I found them, man. I thought, like, this could be it. Yeah. It's funny because I've got some comic books as well and uh, I think I've I, – I don't have them here. I think they're in a box at my sister's house too. And I think I looked them up recently because I remember the ones that are the special ones I had. I think the internet has ruined scarcity for some of those things. Yeah. The things are more findable. They seem less rare, I guess. I mean, the rare ones are still rare, but yeah, I think I thought I had some pretty special ones, but I think the most valued one is like 20 bucks or something. <laughs> That's all right. That's two six packs something. of Modelo at the bodega. That's a good point. Sell, sell, sell. I just made a cool $20 playing the market. So, yeah. <laughs> so you weren't you so you weren't you were not a Pokemon. I wasn't a Pokemon. Uh it's on my in my house. Like it was it was literally on now. Um if yeah. I walked into my living room. Yeah. Lola doesn't really like it. Bruce dominates. He got a Pokemon show bag at the Easter show last week. Oh wow. Yeah. I wasn't yeah, I was not a Pokemon either. But I was, you know, being two years younger than you, I remember at school I was at an age where, what was it, 97? Uh, yeah, I was like 15 or whatever. 13? No. Wait, how old was I? 84. Fuck, there's no way of knowing. <laughs> 13. We'll never know. Anyway, I was not into it. I didn't get it. And I'm into video games because the big part of it was the game as well, right? And on Game Boy, that was a big thing. And I remember kids at school playing that game, like, in my grade. And I was like, what is that? That looks so fucking stupid. Yeah. And I loved stupid shit at that age. Like, I was into all that. I was into nerdy stuff. But, yeah, it still didn't, yeah, did it didn't not appeal click. to me. Interesting. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. Do you know what Pokemon stands means? Do the name means? Pocket Monsters. Pocket Monsters. And now we've got Pokeballs. I assume they're connected somehow. Oh, you can only assume. Got to catch them all, man. Damn it, there's this bush turkey out there, Tristan. I've got a bush turkey. That lives somewhere around here. Really? He's digging up my yard. Really? He's looking at me right now. Is he looking at you and just like messing it up and making like steady eye contact? Oh, no, he, he came to do, go to his spot, but he knows I'm here, so he can't. So he, he just came and looked at me and then kept moving. Get out of here, bush turkey. Bush turkeys. Man, our bush turkeys are just big rats. I saw the biggest rat in our little backyard thing the other day. I thought it was a possum. It was just a big rat. Oh, yeah, your wife posted something about the rats. Oh yeah, there's like a new head of rats or whatever in New York to sort out the rat problem. We got we got CRO. a thing in the mail saying like, don't take out your rubbish too early on rubbish night because of the rats. <laughs> what's too, what's considered too early? I think uh, before eight, something like that. Oh, that's quite late. Yeah. And the other, the other thing on the Pokemon's, Greg, is <laughs> yeah. it is a very good example of a very it's a it's a full three sixty degree integrated ecosystem because you've got the cards there. Yeah. You got the cartoon, you got the video game. I'm not totally clear on like to what extent it's a Nintendo thing versus a Pokemon thing that Nintendo jumped on board with. I don't know. I don't know. And all the merch, like clothes. Yeah, and then you got the like the Logan Pauls of the world with um, you know, he's made a chain out of his Charizard card that's worth like a million dollars or some bullshit. Um, I think that's the one Bruce's cousin has maybe. And then there's all this controversy of counterfeit cards. Like it's a whole thing, man. Mm. It's crazy. They probably hold their value more than uh, crypto at this point. Yeah. Because that's a bit all over the place. It is. You know, zigging and zagging, bebopping and scatting. <laughs> yeah. Pokemon. 
97, big year. Big year for po- uh, Pokemon, Pocket Monsters, Pokeballs and such. Uh, big year for movies too, Greg. Yeah. Some of the biggest, in fact. You got Titanic, you got The Lost World, you got Men in Black, Tomorrow Never Dies, Air Force One. Get off my plane. There it is. Uh, <laughs> Tomorrow Never Dies, there was a Bond film. Liar, liar, my best friend's wedding. And, you know, a bunch of movies we've covered, like The Fifth Element. I know what you did last summer. Spawn, The Devil's Avocado, uh, The Game. But there was a little film that came in at number 40, sandwiched neatly between Jackie Brown and Donnie Brasco. Little film called Austin Powers. Austin Powers came out in... uh, May of 1997, budget of $16 million, $16.5 million. I can see Greg's eyeline and he's looking at the bush turkey right now. Aren't you, Greg? (laughs) I was listening and looking. (laughs) And look, Yeah, no, you you don't have to look at me. You can look at the bush turkey. It's just interesting. (laughs) I can see. (laughs) Look at the light on my face. It's quite weird today. Do I look like? You look like you're going to tell a ghost story. Mm, You look like you've got the torch shining. Yeah, budget of $16.5 million, gross box office of $67.7 million, which is so much lower than I thought. And, yeah, incidentally, we mentioned before, came in at number 40 that year. That's so low. But also Jackie Brown and Donnie Brasco were that low? Like, what the fuck is going on, 1997? Get your shit together. Where did my best friend's wedding land? Too high, number eight. Doesn't make sense. Number eight. Um, Critics on Rotten Tomatoes uh, gave this an aggregate score of 73%. Audiences 77%, critic consensus as follows. A light and goofy comedy which provides laughs, largely due to the performances and screenwriting by Myers. Mm. Yeah, hot, hot take, <laughs> critic consensus. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a slow burn. So box office was pretty low. Yeah. But then it became pretty big on video. And by the time the sequel came out, you know, the number, number two made 300 million, number three just under 300 million. But they both had much lower Rotten Tomatoes scores. I remember really liking part two. Part three I didn't like so much. It had moments, but, you know, wasn't quite the same kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, for me. Foxy Brown. Foxy Cleopatra. Foxy, oh, Foxy Cleopatra. Jackie Brown. Foxy Brown's the rapper. Jackie Brown. You, you mix, you mix Beyonce. All, all your characters up there. Beyonce. That's weird that Beyonce was an Austin Powers movie now, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, was this a big movie for you, Greg? Uh, yes, it was, Kent. Um yeah. It was big. I, I was really surprised to hear them numbers. Um, I thought this was way bigger. Um, Same. I, Even it, critic score I'm a little surprised by. Yeah. It, I mean, we'll get into it, but fucking perfect. Yeah. I was in year 10, which is a pretty ripe a ripe period for this kind of yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah. Shall Absolutely. I call it a thing? Um, yeah, it's a thing. You know, we, we were heavy, heavy quotas of this film – you know, we'll talk more about the rewatch. It was dense. Yeah. Um, everyone was. Everyone was, yeah, babying and, you know, orange sherbet. I still say orange sherbet when I'm yeah, talking man. about a three-point turn. <laughs> Just pull an yeah, orange yeah, sherbet. Yeah. And that's one, that's one I've, I've written that down as well. I wrote down like I, I have lots of personal things from this movie that have just carried on that you're almost – it's not like uh, when we did Chopper, there were a lot of things from that movie that I kind of forgot were from Chopper. This one, I remember they're from this, but I just use them in everyday 
like pretty frequently, maybe not every single day, but courtesy flush gets used in our household a lot, usually R.I. <laughs> yelling from the other room. Um, <laughs> but orange sherbet, like I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've said orange sherbet on this pod a few times. Probably. And I don't even know why, like why would, what would be the context of that being relevant? Like it's not relevant to anything because also like sherbet. Also that's the other thing I've learned actually in the US. I, th- I think, I think sherbet is sorbet. Oh. Yeah, it's not because, you know, he's holding like a tub of ice cream, right? That's what it looks like. It's not like powder. In Australia, sherbet is powder. Yeah. It's like whiz like fizz. Whiz fizz. Yeah, but I think maybe in America or some parts of America or some parts of the world, sherbet is like a sorbet. Like a, like a, like a fruity, icy a, thing. Like a frozen yogurt type thing? Well, I think non-dairy is the is the differentiator. That sounds good. Yeah, like a lemon sorbet, you know, or an orange yeah. sorbet, as it were. I yeah. had uh, I had Dole Whip. You know, Dole the pineapple people. Dole Whip. Yeah. No, I don't. So at the <laughs> Easter show, it was like Whip. So Dole Dole they make t- tinned pineapple. Oh, it'd be in the tinned pineapple racket, and you could buy like a Whip. Oh, why well, they blend it up? Yeah, it's like it's basically it looks like fr- like a, fr- a a soft frozen yogurt type, like a pina colada type thing. So I had yeah. that in a, a float. So it was pineapple juice and that, and everyone was stopping and looking at me, going, "Whoa, that is mad! Where did you get that?" Really, it was ridiculous. It had a it had a little pile, uh, what do you call it, a little umbrella in it. Yeah, and yeah, it looked yeah, like a pina colada, but it was yeah. just pineapple. Do you ever give your undercarriage a bit of a "How's your father"? <laughs> I say that a lot too. Again. I don't know why. I don't know what context I would say that. I say it to Ara a lot just to make her uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm, I'm uncomfortable right now. <laughs> it's a big movie, man. This was a big movie for me. But I don't know like uh, chronologically like where exactly because I don't think I watched it at the movies. But it eventually became huge. I remember the third movie, genuinely, expectation versus uh, uh, reality. But I uh, remember being genuinely excited going to bed to watch the movie the next day. I remember, oh, I can't wait to watch this movie. I loved it that much. I'm like, there's a third one. I get to see a new one. It's going to be so good. And then I was pretty disappointed. It's still funny. I'm sure we'll do it on the pod at one point and I'll think it's great. But it's a little, I don't know, it loses something. Too many cameos. I'm sure we'll talk about cameos later. But it's like a little bit of a jump the shark type of thing, which sounds crazy to say because this whole thing is absurd. But, yeah, I don't know. Something something was lost. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm nodding. I'm nodding. Uh, should I get into the origin story of this picture? Please do. Origin story. All right. Well, this is uh, quite a, quite a sweet story in a lot of ways. Um, this film is is well, the character at least of Austin Powers was very much inspired by Mike Myers' love of uh, Mike Myers' father's love. Of you know Peter Sellers of the world and um, and that kind of skew of British comedy, mm, mm. and his father passed away in like 1991, I think. I think we hypothesized last time when we did uh, so I married an axe murderer because you you pointed out there was like a three year gap between Wayne's World two and this or something, and I thought oh, yeah. that's when his father died. But actually, his father died before he made any of these movies. I think so he just had a breather. Yeah, fair enough. Everyone needs them. Well, he's probably writing this fucking thing too because it's dense. Jokes per minute is off the charts. GPM. 
JPM. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I didn't realize, I remember, I mean, that's the thing. I was obsessed with this movie. So I already knew that without research. But with research, I found a little nuance, Greg. What I didn't know is that, yes, that's how the character originated. But where that character first showed up was not in a film. It was in a band that he had created called Ming T. Yeah. Which was like a 60s thing. Um, where all of them play characters. Yeah, so that Put song from this talent. movie is those guys. And so they all play characters. So he was Austin Powers. The lead guitarist was Susanna Hoffs from the, the Bangles. She played Gillian Shagwell or something. And the bass player, Matthew Sweet, played Sid Belvedere. And there, there are others with all equally interesting names. Sid and so, Belvedere. yeah, the BBC song, all of the those interstitials where it's just like... That's them too. In the sequel, that daddy wasn't there. That's them too. Um, I do have a little clip. I can't tell if this is before the movie or after the movie. I'm pretty sure it's probably after. But it's the band playing live somewhere. My name is Austin Powers and we are Ming T. We are Trevor Egbert. Manny Stixman. Gillian Shagwell. And Sydney Belvedere on bass. You guys have been smashing and I love it. Mrs. William. Make me take my love to me. Put on the telly. I I Napstered this song. Really? Yeah. Burnt it onto a CD, baby. That's so funny. That's a, that's like peak Napster, that like novelty songs like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. So that happened. And then um, his wife's Lovely. like, hey, you know, uh, why don't you make that into uh, some kind of thing there? Like a sketch or a film yeah, or something. Yeah, you go out and, and make us $50 million. <laughs> yeah. And so that's exactly what he did. But I did. I actually, I did find a nice quote him talking about his dad, which is gives you a bit of um, that sentiment I was talking about earlier. He said, "After my dad died in 1991, I was taking stock of his influence on me as a person and his influence on me with comedy in general." So Austin Powers was a tribute to my father, who introduced me to James Bond, Peter Sellers, The Beatles, The Goodies. Oh, The Goodies! Remember The Goodies? Goodies, goodies, yum, yum. That's fucking weird. I remember they exist and I remember that line, that song, but I don't remember like what the show actually was. That's so weird. Man, we're getting old. I'm forgetting stuff now. Mm. Fuck. Um, the goodies, Peter Cook and, and Dudley Moore. And, yeah, I mean that's the crux of it and then he wrote it. Um, I think he wrote it. Did he co-write it? Yeah, he wrote it with his buddy I think. Well, you got to. Let me double check. I oh, know he wrote he wrote the first one himself. Yeah, no, it wasn't until the other ones that he wrote oh. his buddy. So he went deep. That's probably what he was doing for three years, man. Writing it, getting it made, and I think the fact that the character existed before the movie kind of makes sense. Not to get into the rewatch prematurely, but in watching it again today, a little bit for a first movie, the character is so fully realized and feels like 
lived in and consistent. Mm. And mm. it's just his, it's a fully formed idea in this movie, you know. That's so that nice. makes sense. He's probably done his 10,000 hours, maybe not 10,000 hours, but you know what I mean. He's lived in this character for some time. Um, casting. There's some interesting precasters here that uh, did not occur to me. Great. I haven't seen this. Yeah. So he actually wanted Jim Carrey to play Dr. Evil. So he didn't, he didn't write this with the intent to play multiple characters. He wanted Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey was keen, but he was busy making Liar Liar. Fascinating. A film that did crack the top ten that year. And uh, similarly, Rhea Perlman was in talks to play Fro Farbissida. Oh, yep. I thought that was Rhea Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be. I was watching that again today and also thinking like, yeah, who was that actor? And like, Well, Billy Kwan. She's probably not. Not Kwong. <laughs> Chris Kenny. Yeah, yeah. I got corrected. I did see that. I did see that. And I was going to text you and then I went on. Not texting you. Um, <laughs> I got distracted. But it's uh, but that actress. Yeah, I. It's, she's probably. She's. I've probably seen her in a bunch of things, and she's probably unrecognizable. But I did wonder, like, yeah, where is she? Where? What else has she been in? Um, oh, if only there was a podcast that did that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and they had more time to prep. Uh, <laughs> and then he also cast Robert Wagner as number two, and Michael York as Basil Exposition. Uh, because he loved them back in the 60s too, so that he, you know, big 60s icons, um, you know, blaring through the telly in his household back in the day mm. and brought them on board and it revitalised their career. Hey, you want to feel old, Greg? I've got a feel old little nugget for you. Go for it. Just reminded me with that 60s thing. So Austin Powers, the premise is the guy from the 60s goes to the 90s and, whoa, it was crazy, it's so different. That time difference is the same as if someone from the 90s came to now. <sighs> their fashion would be acceptable. They'd be wearing baggy jeans. They'd be dressed the same as Gen Z right now. Yeah, it would be the opposite. He actually, he would be more popular now than he was then. The girls would be chasing him down the street in the current day. Yeah. Because they'd be like, where'd you get those keppers? <laughs> yeah, you can't find them. Yeah. That's crazy. I bought the baggiest pants, man, this last <laughs> week. I didn't realise how baggy they were. Um, so that's my life now. I've got to figure out how to wear them. Anyway. I digress. The house till you get up the confidence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's the kind. It's the kind take of him to the bodega. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind of clothing item I need to like buy a whole new wardrobe to make work around. I know that. Them. Yeah, yeah. Because nothing. I don't know how to style them. It's uh, this is hard, and I'm getting older, so I don't want to look stupid. No, well, I don't look stupid, Greg. Anyway, um, oh yeah, Mike Myers says thirty to forty percent of uh, the film was improvised. Yeah. Which is, I guess it's not surprising, but I was watching uh, I was watching one of those Judd Apatow things the other day. What was I watching? Oh, 40-Year-Old Virgin. And uh, I was thinking those movies and the improvisation that happens in them and like Anchorman and, you know, those kinds of movies. There's a real improv vibe that happens. And, you know, it's like, oh, wait, this is the improv part, I can tell, because there's like this cadence and this like tone or something. Yeah. In this movie, it feels, it doesn't really have that, Vibe to it. It doesn't feel improv. I mean, it's so dense with jokes that yeah. I guess it's harder to tell. But it doesn't have that weird thing of like, hey, we're just a couple of guys riffing here, right? Mm. You know, like in 40-year-old version, it's like, you know how I know you're gay? You know, that kind of back and forth yeah. thing. And it's like, oh, okay. You can see them like mulling the over the, Yeah, the, yeah. There's something about it. And it almost is starting to feel a little bit outdated. Like, uh, well, that scene in particular is outdated. But just that the vibe of what that improv energy is it feels a bit like i don't know we're, we're far away enough that that feels like a distinct period in film mm. <laughs> you know yes yeah what yeah. a glorious period as well 
What a glorious period, yeah. Um, and finally, it was directed by Jay Roach. What have you got on him? He directed uh, Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, but more recently he directed Trumbo and Bombshell, uh, more on the serious side. So another one mm. of those comedy directors gone straight, like Adam McKay, we just talked about Anchorman, like Todd Phillips, like the Farrelly brothers. This is the Todd thing that Phillips. happens, right? We talked about this, didn't we, that these comedy directors then go play it straight and make Oscar Beatty movies that are sometimes good, sometimes terrible. Well, much like their their talent. Um, you know, there's a long history of comedians t- turning to the serious side, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, all the greats. Yeah, all the greats, it's true. Because we've talked With about this too, right? Because comedy is undervalued as an art and these actors that do brilliant comedy are actually great actors, not just comedy people. Anyway. They're performers, goddammit. Yeah, they're performers. They're artists. Anyway, Bish Bash Bosh, you got yourself a movie, Rap Party at the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club. Yeah, for sure. Let's play the trailer. In 1967, an international secret agent was cryogenically frozen in case the world ever required his services again. Now, evil is threatening the earth, and the time has come to bring him back into the 90s. It's not unusual. Allow myself to introduce myself. Danger Powers Personal Effects. Actually, my name is Austin Powers. Danger's my middle name. I'm gonna need you to sign these release forms. Okay, name. Sex? Yes, please. In his time, he was the coolest secret agent alive. Unfortunately, it's freedom, baby. Yeah. This is not his time. He's a swinger in a square world. A lot's changed since 1967. Bring on the sexy stews, man. Yeah. We're called flight attendants now. And he's a stranger in a strange land. This is my mother, Mrs. Exposition. Lovely. Austin! What have you done? That's not your mother, it's a man, baby! What? Oh, Hurley. Don't forget this. Oh, thanks. Austin Powers. <laughs> International man of mystery. Oh, I don't need to have fun, Austin. That's you in a nutshell. No, this is me in a nutshell. Help, I'm in a nutshell. <laughs> Weird choice of... Uh... Music, hey, like it doesn't have the actual theme song, that soul bossa nova thing. Interesting. Weird, yeah. Yeah, and they must have had it, like I was thinking maybe they didn't know they were going to use that song yet, but they must have because the whole opening is choreographed to it pretty, you know, specifically. Anyway, there you have it. Yeah. Good trailer. Actually, that Great reminded trailer. me, I don't know if it was that movie or the sequel, but it must have been the sequel because we didn't. there was no Star Wars as in the top ten were there. I remember there was one, it must have been Austin Powers 2, where it says, if you see one movie this summer, 
see Star Wars. <laughs> but if you yeah. see two, <laughs> that's good. That's great. Good trailer. Good trailer. Hmm. What happened in this movie, Greg? Well, there's a big question looming. Uh, just looming. How much are we defined by the times in which we occupy us? Bang on for this podcast, right? Is historical context enough? Does that make it okay? How much of our behaviours and beliefs are influenced by the times in which we exist? If we were in Germany in the 40s, would we be Nazis? Mm. Is that where you're going with this? For example. (laughs) This existential puzzle is explored through the vehicle, the vehicle of one Austin Powers. Mm. Bearing a striking resemblance to James Bond, Austin is cryogenically frozen, was it 67? Yeah, around there. In a bid to keep his uh, services on hand, should they be required. And required they are when Dr. Evil, supervillain Dr. Evil, pops up in 1907. They're reanimated in a modern-day America and Austin had lived a groovy and promiscuous life in the 60s, which was the style at the times. (laughs) But he's about to find out that what once was shagadelic and groovy baby is now frowned upon, nay, condemned. How will he navigate his new normal? Austin must look inside as he struggles to separate the identity of the 60s with the identity of Austin Powers. Yeah. And that yeah, very is what makes him a man of history. Internationally so, yeah. yeah. Did that help clear it up? That it cleared everything up there. Now I know exactly what happened in the film. Uh, very yeah, complex. It really plot. makes you think. Uh, how was the rewatch for you, Greg? Is it a highly enjoyable rewatch? Man, it is. Yeah, it was a treat. I haven't seen fucking this. delightful, man. What a fucking treat. Yeah, how dense is this thing? It's so fucking good, man. Like every everything. I just sorry, I'm pointing there because the TV is there, and I had it playing before while I was writing notes. But <laughs> fuck, it had everything just over there, just to the right of me. Just every fuck right like, there. It's the kind of movie where I actually end up not writing notes because I either write everything or nothing. Like what a, you know, it's like. It's all gold, man. Um, anyway, it, I mean, well, why not? I'll just start, keep going. Uh, everything's funny. Like I was a little bit worried. I mean, we'll get into some of the um, spy stuff later and uh, I guess some of the, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that stuff later. But I think a bit like movies like Borat and things where there's like these catchphrases and they get overused and it kind of becomes a bit lame, you know, like, yeah, baby. Yeah. It's a bit like my wife, you know, and you, it's <laughs> yeah. like, oh yeah, whatever. It's all a bit cringe. And then you, but then you watch it again and you go, fuck, that is funny. And I'll put Borat the same thing again. It's just so fucking funny. And yeah, there's those catchphrases like that, which in the context of the film are hilarious once more, but also just all these little things, like tiny little things mm. are hilarious. Mm. Like that military man at the beginning, he calls and he's like, tell my wife I've got this thing to go do or whatever. Bring my overnight bag and, uh, Phillips, eat my fish. Not too much. I'm off to London, England. Yeah. <laughs> Just like these little things that have no business being that funny. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a billion of those things, like the, a billion of them. Every scene. Every scene. And the opening dance is phenomenal. Like a bit like we were just saying before how comedy actors don't get the credit for acting. I would also say like the physicality that he pulls off in that opening and similar with Jim Carrey and other films, I feel like they don't get the credit for like for that. That's an amazing mm. thing that he's doing. It's fucking crazy. The way he yeah. moves. I don't know if it's technically great dancing, but it is something. And it's compelling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's yeah. I'm like, where do we? Where do we? Where do you want to start? I don't know. In- I don't know yeah, like you go line by line, or <laughs> it's just I guess just everything from the big stuff to the little stuff. Just the fact that his son's name is Scott. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> it's just so funny to me. I don't know why that's so funny to me, but it is. Um, uh, yeah. Credit. Okay. Credit where it's due. Let's. Mm-hmm. I can. I can segue from that into talk a little bit about dollars and cents. Okay. So I thought I had thought that this was like one of the highest paid movies roles ever, but as with the trajectory of the scale of its sequels, I yeah I made his money. He only earned three million bucks for this movie. Wow. Um, and that was 90- probably also as like creator not just for the role yeah eh? yeah so it's not that much and so for context 1997 leo got 40 for titanic 40 and then what what year did um jim carrey get that crazy amount um that's a good question that cable guy or something there was something crazy like 50 million or something but yeah he he made good money for the sequels i think for yeah well seven mil wow sorry wow seven mil for austin powers 2 and 25 mil for gold member. Fuck. Which, as you suggested earlier, wasn't the best of the three, but that's how that's how um, box office and cash works. Yeah. And let me be clear, I'll still take that movie. Even if it's not so even you, if it's half as good, it's still worth a watch for me. Yeah. Yeah. So twenty five mil yeah. for that. Um, and you know he's playing multiple people, so if you split <laughs> it's it fair. out, <laughs> he's got to pay Doctor Evil. He's got to pay Fat Bastard. That's true. Beyonce. Oh, wait, he doesn't play Beyonce. He doesn't play Beyonce. That's played by Beyonce. So it's interesting. um, One million, three million (laughs) dollars wasn't really that much. Yeah. That whole thing is hilarious. That whole thing is hilarious. I was thinking. The inflation gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was thinking as well, like, fuck, maybe I should just invest, freeze myself and wait for compound interest to do its thing. You know? Mm. Like. Why not do that? Why not? It's the future, baby. And Dr. Evil, man, like, it's fucking great. His monologue at therapy is just <laughs> one of the most beautiful, beautiful things I've, I've ever, ever heard. My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. 
At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. At the age of 14, as a roastery named Vilma, ritualistically shaved my testicles. There really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. It's breathtaking. I suggest you try it. How do they keep a straight face? In How do they even come up with this stuff? My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. Webbed feet. <laughs> My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. <laughs> Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, uh, in the spring we'd make meat helmets. What the fuck is he talking about? It's Man. nonsensical. Hilarity at its best. Did I tell you at work back in the day, back when Greg and I used to work together, you know, uh, early 20s, friend of ours, Manson, who's been on the show before, we entered him in uh, Clio Bachelor of the Month. There was like an industry version for advertising. And we entered Manson in Bachelor of the Month and he won. I wrote it for him and I copied and pasted that monologue as his bio. (laughs) And that's how he won. Because it's that good. Uh, and he says astute in that scene. He calls Scott. No, it's actually he's being quite astute there. I am. I am trying to. <laughs> Who's going to take over the world? Is that Carrie Fisher? Yeah, I didn't know who she was back then, but yet now I'm a little more aware. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you really. We went Star Wars people. I know, but I was enough of a Star Wars person to know who Princess Leia was. Oh, really? I was completely yeah. oblivious. Yeah, I, I was. Sorry. I had no Star Wars in my life. I feel like I've pulled. You know, crumbled. I thought we were in this together, Greg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was also thinking it's like obviously a very funny film. It obviously plays with a lot of the tropes of the film, but it's also very earnest. It's also very sweet in a lot of ways. Mm. So it's more of a semi-spoof, I guess you could say. Mm. You don't remember what you said last time when I said semi-spoof? Friends of the show had a strong reaction to that. Yeah, it was. That was the funniest thing you've ever said to me, Greg. Funniest <laughs> thing have you ever. Anyway, semi spoof it is. Um, semi spoof. We'll leave it at that today. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, you touched on this in your, in your synopsis. I think it's kind of interesting. It dawned on me watching this that the premise of this film is not dissimilar to the premise of our podcast. Mm because this film is would a character from 30 years ago hold up today? Mm. Um, and it's crazy that, yeah, 30 years ago was the 90s, 30 years ago then was the 60s. That's insane. But um, it's kind of interesting because that was one of my main worries because, you know, when you really love a film, you worry more about the rewatch because you're worried it's you're going to have to like, there's something about it that's going to kind of ruin it for you. Mm. But the misogyny and stuff, obviously he's like got some outdated perceptions of women and things, but he's actually like pretty balanced. I wrote here, I was worried he might be too rapey, like too rapey. Any rape is bad. Yeah. It's weird phrasing. <laughs> but, um, but you know, he, he, he has a line, like he doesn't, he, you know, ignores her advances when she's drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a classy move. He becomes a one woman lady. No, one woman man, <laughs> a one lady man. Um, but in saying that, I'm still not really sure why she would like him. But whatever, I can I can suspend He's disbelief charming. there. Yeah, he is charming. He's a strange little man. But she could <laughs> she could get like a charming hot man. Man, literally on like news.com today, I saw like an article. Literally, the headline was Liz Hurley accused of aging backwards. So I clicked on this article um, for the words, Excellent. not the images. 
And uh, she does look the same, basically. It's kind of crazy. She is a she's a total babe. Um, but she she's also sure like is. she still looks young. But on the flip side, in this movie, she also seems kind of old. Like she has like this weird old lady energy to her a little bit. I, mean, I guess mm. it's just because she's so posh sounding. Maybe that's maybe in my head how that works. I don't know. But um. I think she was pretty young in this. Let me tourist check. disguise ourselves as tourists. Yeah, I'm Richie oh, Cunningham, and this is my wife Oprah. Like that line <laughs> is not funny on paper, but the way he says it is so fucking funny. Oprah, anyway, how old was Liz? I think she was 32. Early in Austin Powers, 31. 32? Yeah, 31. 31. Okay, I did look that up as well. Ah, uh, interesting. Out of out of curiosity. Yeah. Oh. She obviously she dated the late great Shane Warne. Oh yeah, that's right. That was yeah. a weird moment. <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah. And she wrote quite a nice tribute after he passed. She's like, Farewell, my lion heart. It's like, oh. Ah, yeah. big fans of uh JCVD. Must be. Wrong bet. Yeah, nice. Wrong bet. Um mate, talk to me about so let's talk cameos. Okay. Okay. There's a lot in here, man. And it's, but it, I, I haven't, I'm not sure how to articulate this, but mm. what you said earlier made me think um, sometimes they're over, they can be overdone. Yeah. You know what I think uh, this, it is? This wasn't overdone somehow. So, okay. So this came up. It's not a cameo thing, but I think it's the same principle, maybe. My legs are very badly broken. <laughs> Fuck, I forgot. Is that? Okay, I forgot. I didn't count that as a cameo, but that's a good point. Um, yeah. The, didn't that well back yeah, then. Yeah, especially in Australia, it wasn't a big SNL culture. Yeah. I guess in the US it was probably more of a cameo. But uh, anyway, remember when we did Copland? Do I? Uh, a, a friend of the show messaged us after that and and criticised my my something I said because I think I said something like, I love the cast and how, you know, you've got all these great people playing these interesting roles. And maybe I poorly articulated that I like that this script was small. This was an unknown dude and these guys came in and like to elevate it mm. and to make it mm-hmm. awesome kind of thing. And then I, in the same sentence, criticised or at least explained my distaste for sometimes films that have that all-star cast energy like Ocean's franchise, like – I don't hate oceans, but it just doesn't, I don't know. Something about it feels so self-satisfied. I think it might be the same thing with the cameos once you get to three because it's like Tom Cruise and Gwyneth Paltrow and stuff. It's not Will Ferrell and Carrie Fisher and people who mm. obviously uh, I guess maybe maybe friends with him but also just fans of that type of comedy and there's some sort of authenticity and like genuineness to it mm. versus like, oh, this thing's popular. I want to get my little face in there too. You know, it, it, mm. that's m- more like what it felt like in the third one I think maybe. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Who who are they going to put in next? Mm. Yeah. Having said that though, credit to Tom Cruise in the cameo space because Tropic Thunder cameo is, you know. That is true. That is good. But that I do. That his career you could say. Well, that's the thing because I do also feel that when I see it, it feels like a very conscious and calculated choice. You know what I mean? It it feels like a tactic. Well, it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there is something to it. It is great. I do love that. I know. But it is, there is something about it that feels, it feels very, uh, what's the word? Contrived. Contrived. That's the exact word I was trying to think of. We're always finishing each other's. uh, Breakfast. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, oh, you you asked me to think about which is my favourite cameo. Yeah, Greg briefed you, me earlier did, in the week. I briefed him earlier in the week. I was curious, and then I thought it's actually probably a better question not explored. I mm. spontaneous. What do you have uh, across so film? I was thinking you got a favourite cameo or cameoist. It, oh, cameoist. Well, in this film, or either. I was thinking about it. I don't. I, Okay, let me read out what I've got. I don't know if I have an overall winner yet, but as I read it out, maybe I will. I think my favourite scene with a cameo is the therapy scene with Carrie Fisher. Oh. But her cameo itself is probably not the winner. Mm. But that scene is good. Favourite cameo concept I think is Rob Lowe, friend of the henchman thing. Like that's just fucking great. It's so good. <laughs> Such a good concept. Yeah. Um, favourite Cameo line, courtesy flush from Tom Arnold, because that has just stuck with me forever. Oh. But the random cameo that takes up too much real estate in my head, we talked about earlier, Christian Slater with the orange sherbet thing. I don't, yeah. I don't know why that just sticks in my head so much. Maybe, maybe I do like that one the most because for, going against everything I just said, it feels so inauthentic like why is he even there and why are we talking about orange sherbet like it's fucking random um i think i would give it to tom arnold if not for the christ boy what did you eat something about that line i don't find that funny but uh everything else he did was pretty funny courtesy flash is great i think i might be making this up i think maybe i heard that he came up with that line too if he came up with that line that's got to be my favorite cameo then yeah Long story, not a very good answer, but I don't know. How about you, Greg? Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, oh, yeah. Man. I don't know. I didn't answer You asked me questions. the question. <laughs> yeah. I was so interested to hear from you. Yeah. The Will um, Ferrell stuff is good, if that counts. I'm very badly burned. <laughs> that's, that's probably the funniest. Actually, that's maybe. a good point. He is kind of a good cameoist, isn't he? Yeah. Wedding crashes. Life and, and such, yeah. Yeah, the Mother Meatloaf, that's up there. That's a funny, yeah. that's a, I don't know what she's doing. That's very funny. <laughs> he's a funny man. He's so funny. He's great because he's such an ordinary looking man. Such an ordinary, boring looking man. Yeah. That when he acts absurd, it just, the, the contrast is it just, <laughs> and he's not afraid to sit in the awkward. Everyone says that about him. Like when I listen to podcasts of SNL people and, or even himself, they say the thing with that guy, man, because SNL's live and when you bomb, the crowd is quiet and it's live TV and he just doubles down. He just sits in it. He draws it out longer. Like, fuck that, man. If I'm doing like a client presentation and there's like eight seconds of silence, I shit my pants. Like, uh, fill, the, fill the air. Quick, say something, Tristan. Uh. Fill the air with poo. <laughs> Did you shit your pants? Well, exactly. it was a little quiet. Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> music, we didn't really talk about the music yet. Mm. The main theme, uh, Soul Bossa Nova by Quincy Jones, it wasn't made for the movie. It's like an old thing. I had no idea. I didn't know it was Quincy Jones either until recently. No, I, yeah. He wrote it in the 60s. It came out in 1962. He composed it in 20 minutes. He composed that in less time than it takes to make an episode of this podcast. But, you know, it's recorded in real time. So, yeah. 
is making and a five minute thing. Jones. And it's Quincy Jones. And we're just a couple of guys. Um, it's been used in a couple other films apparently too, two that I've never heard of, The Pawn Broker yeah. and Take the Money and Run. It was also used in a Canadian game show. And interestingly enough, yeah, you're more of a soccerman than me or a footballman, uh, but apparently it was the theme music of the 1998 FIFA World Cup. Was it? Yeah, I Googled it and because this was from Wikipedia, so I take that with a grain of salt. And I don't think it was like the official theme music, but I looked it up. And there was a Nike ad from nineteen ninety eight that used that music. So that yeah, might have okay. been that might have been that. But even that alone is fascinating. There was a Nike Isn't ad, it? a Nike a Nike World Cup ad in nineteen ninety eight that used Soul Bossa Nova. Weird. That like it rings a vague bell, but I, I had you not like I that was the Ricky Martin year, right? That was the Ricky Martin year. Probably ninety eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty big in this house, that um cup of life. Really? Yeah, Bruce had to do a dance to it at school. Oh, no way. Did you ever do dances to songs at school? I did a Yoffa Yindi. Oh, yeah, Trudy, good one. I I danced at the Opera House. Hey, friends of the show, it's more impressive for those that aren't from Australia because everyone in Sydney knows that every school performs at the Opera House. But friends of the show, one of the hosts here, Tristan, did a little dance on the stage at uh, the Opera House. Uh, Iconic. Yeah, I mean, I think I did too. Ah, yeah, Greg did too, I guess. The what was it called? The school spectacular. Yeah, school spectacular. I sung up we there. We were in the same. We were in the same precinct. Right, school spectacular. Right, yeah, right I, I was in the choir there where we sang. Uh, Sakura. No, we sang the Michael Jordan. Hold me. Oh, I like that's the right. Jordan. That one. I think and they then, did that too, man. I yeah, think we I think been, we were probably there. I'm a couple of years older though, so. And then maybe, I actually had was, some was it multi-year. I think it was the big the big choir was because the big choir would be stacked up all up the back, right? But then we the, were probably the, in that same choir. How cool! The fair the, the people the parents watching that looking at that crowd up there going, you know, two of those people up there are going to make a very successful podcast that some people listen to one day. Yeah, a very successful podcast. But I and then on the stage I danced to Yothu Yindi. I also danced to Oklahoma, where the wind. I don't think I danced actually. I was in a dance crew at school. It was the cool thing. Why? It seems quite, uh, I mean, the Yothi Indie song was great, of course, but I do look back at that and go, shit, we didn't do anything inappropriate, did we? Uh, But I don't think we did. I did wear tights. That's slightly inappropriate. But aside from that, I think we're good. Were they purple? Uh, No, they were black. I did have some dots on my face. That's the only part that might be a little bit. Um, What was Bruce's dance, The Cup of Life? Oh, I they put it at like two, two o'clock on a Tuesday, so I couldn't go and see it. What the fuck? Yeah, a bit silly. Hey, music, mm. great music. Um, you talked about the origin story, uh, Ming, Ming T. Yeah. Got me thinking because, I, as I said, I like that song. I love that song. To yeah. the BBC. Yeah. Um, it got me exploring a little wormhole on fake bands. Oh yeah, uh, there's a few. There's been a few good ones over the years, Tristan. Yeah, um, like the guys from Airheads, the Lone Rangers. There you go. The the B Sharps. <laughs> yeah, B on board. How oh, I adore that sign on my car's window pane. Yeah. Spinal Tap, obviously. We almost harmonised there. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, the almost famous um, band, this sort of band movies. Do you know there's a new TV show 
that Carol is obsessed with the fake band. They're sort of like a Fleetwood Mac type. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's loosely based. I, asked her, I went out and asked her the name of this band before I did the pod. Yeah. So I could talk about already. it and I didn't type it into my search engine. <laughs> oh, what a battler I am. But it's a new TV show and they've got a th- it's Elvis's granddaughter is the singer. Oh, yeah, she's in a bunch of movies. She's quite interesting. She makes weird movie choices. Um, what's her name again? Fuck. She was in um, um she was in Logan Lucky. Riley Keough? Yeah, Riley Daisy, Keough. Daisy Jones and the Sixers is this that's it. There we go. I looked up ah. Elvis granddaughter. It's always a way. Daisy Jones and the Sixers, um, and the Six or something. Anyway, Carol's right. very into it. She plays it a lot now. Um so, you know, the the fake band thing, it's it's a thriving business. Should we get a fake band going? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why it would be fake. We'd make a real band. We'd make it a band. We're getting yeah. the band back together. We did All have a right. jam session one night. Remember our jam session with Timmy Bowen, friend of the show? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we've had many jam sessions, only That's one with true. Timmy Bowen. Yeah, that um, was a – we drank more than we played. Yeah. Well, I've got about a five-minute video that I'm just keeping for, uh, you know, security. Yeah, okay. <laughs> was that a was that a threat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was, Greg. <laughs> we were so bad. We were th- three of us jamming, singing three different songs. Screaming on ukulele, one on piano. Yeah, all slurry. And the video oh. was just Ara and her friend videoing us going, oh, my God, what is happening? Uh, but we were having yeah. a good time. And is that not what music was about? I'm sure that's what Quincy Jones was doing in 1962 when he wrote Soul Boss Nova. <laughs> all part of the process. Oh, gosh. Oh, we need to do the uh, spy movie tropes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Cars and watches. He has the Shaguar. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Watches I didn't notice. Is he wearing a watch? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, exotic locations. We've got Vegas, uh, which leads into the next one. High stakes gambling. Yeah. I also like to live dangerously. I'll stay. It's <laughs> the fucking best. That whole scene is perfection from like allow myself to introduce myself. Myself. I do that, that in presentations sometimes yeah. where I'll start a sentence and realize I've started this the wrong way and I now I don't know where I'm going and quick keep filling the silence with words and hopefully it'll work out. And oh, I haven't talked to – yes, I know we're in the middle of the thing but I haven't talked about yeah. Carnies. That was my – Oh, I had that one my too. My surname is Carney uh, and in this film – he, he's scared he of he's scared of carnies, small hands, smell like cabbage. That, so I used to introduce myself, myself <laughs> that way in um, presentations and such. I'd go, Greg Carney, uh, small hands, smell like cabbage. And that's a good litmus test to see who you can be friends with in, based on how they react. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, had to, I had to wedge that in um, out of sequence because I, I was going to forget to mention it. And that's good. I, I, both times I watched it in the last two weeks, I had that exact same reaction. Like, yeah. Carny folk. I don't have small hands though. No. Just for the record. You do smell like the cabbage. Cab- the cabbage. <laughs> thing, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Russians, yes. All right, comrades. Um, babes, misogyny, yeah. yes, but that's kind of the point. Ding, ding. Double crossing. Is there double crossing in this? I don't think there is. Although maybe there mm. is because in number two we find out that uh, Mrs. Kensington is a fembot. Remember in the opening scene? Yeah. So you could argue that there's some double crossing happening there. It's all a lie, basically. Yeah. And Chekhov's gadget. This is actually delightful because 
it is and it isn't. I, I say it is, but it's subverting the trope of Chekhov's gadget because the gadget that ends up saving the day is the dental floss and the toothpaste because he squirts toothpaste at someone and then they swing on the dental floss, which do show up in the gadget scene earlier. There's like a watch with GPS or some bullshit. Yeah. And then and then she shows the dental stuff and he's like, oh, let me guess. It's a whatever, whatever. whatever. <laughs> She's like, no, no, it's just dental hygiene. But uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Like the fact that, you know, we've identified that as a trope. It's pretty obvious. But I love that they subvert that trope of like the gadget doesn't pay off. It's actually the thing that wasn't the gadget. Yeah, anyway, I don't have to explain. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's genius. It's genius. Absolutely. Before we get into verdict, one little bit of trivia that's pretty fucked up but like fucking wild. Mm. Um, you know Random Task, uh, the guy who yep. throws a shoe. And I, odd job. Yeah, I just put that together. <laughs> random Task, it's Odd the best Job. Name. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, he's serving a lifetime prison sentence for the torture of a 19-year-old woman. Back in 1990, he didn't get busted until 2008. So when this film was made, he was already a human that had tortured a teenager. That's fucked up. What? He's he's in prison now. According to the victim, she unknowingly had a copy of this movie in her home until her attacker's identity was revealed. In 2017, he was sentenced to an additional 27 years for murdering his cellmate. With a shoe. No, that shoe I added. But, <laughs> <laughs> but man, isn't that wild? I guess he really is a villain. Whoa. That's fucked up, man. That's crazy. DNA got him in the end. Wow. Yeah, that's fucked. Should we get into the wow. verdict? Yeah, that's, sorry. That's, yeah. That's insane, right? That was one of those ones I read initially on IMDb Trivia and I was like, I got to fact check this. <laughs> but yeah. no, it's legit. It's legit. Wow. Yeah, that's fucked. And he murdered his cellmate. He murdered <laughs> his cell. Like, there's like an evil vibe there, right? It's not like just oh, he accidentally. What else is he in? He's in other stuff though, right? Like, he's is, is he? he in um is he in best of the uh, not best of the best um the perfect weapon? Oh, maybe with what Jeff Speakman, Kempo legend Jeff Speakman. Um, no, I've, no, he's pro- in that's um, Professor Tanaka. He's in Shoot Fighter. He's in Bad Blood. He's in Army of One. No. I'm confusing him with Professor Tanaka, who was. You may a, be, are um, you thinking of Blood Fist Five, Human Target? Who's in that? Be. I could be. <laughs> um, have you, you know, there's, a, there's another guy that had a similar vibe. Um, oh, yeah. And he was, a, he was a pro wrestler, but he was in the, the Running Man. You know, the guy, the, the really stocky Asian dude in The Running Man? Oh, uh, yeah. Sub, Sub-Zero? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've kind of blurred um, him into the same guy, but it's a different human. Right. Humans be doing that, man. Oh, there's so many of them. Yeah, let's, there's heaps. I can't even count them on both my hands. Let's get into the verdict. Sorry. Yes, let's keep things moving. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. 
I mean, I'm going to say overall, I think this holds up more than I was expecting because I think the, you know, mm. the misogyny stuff I thought was going to be like, but man, they handled it well. And again, 30-year gap from the 60s to the 90s, 30-year gap almost, 25 years from this movie to now, like mm. it would be pretty easy for it to have some things that fuck up. Anyway, I don't think there's anything big that fundamentally doesn't hold up. I don't know about you. No? I think, yeah, I think because it's got those, yeah, like you just described it. The, yeah. It's kind of poking at all the things that would arguably that, date it. That's a good point too because, you know, with Ray Bechdel test, for instance, Will Ferrell is definitely wearing some dark makeup. Yeah. But like almost all of these things you get a free pass because you could argue that that's the joke. Like he's making fun of, like that is the thing that mm. these movies do. Mm. So that's why he's doing it. So same goes for Bechdel test and things like that. So, um, yeah, from that perspective, Bechdel test does not pass. Ray Bechdel does not pass. But maybe that's the point. Mm. That was the test. Maybe. Cultural relevance. Did Simpsons do it? I think I've seen Bart in an Austin Powers outfit at some point. I can't remember why. That rings a bell. Yeah. Uh, porn parody. Fuck, I didn't look this up. Let's see. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not interested in this, but. Incognito. Uh, this is called Austin Powers XXX. Boo. What a fail of a name. What could we call it? What's a better name? But there is one. So that's a, that passes the test. Mm-hmm. Terrible name. I mean, the, the thing is, they already have names, like the spy who shagged me. Mm. Goldfinger yeah. my asshole, like you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, overall, man, this movie's fucking great. I love this movie. I'll watch it again right fucking now. Dare me. Make me. I'll do it. I love it. No one's going to stop you. Yeah, not no this guy. Says, I'm not going to watch it now. Pointing at myself. Things to do, but yeah. How about you? How about you? Yeah, of course. It's a solid rewatch. It's um, you know, you could say that this is the airplane of our times. You could, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it's a it's a comedy classic of our generation. It really is, with, and it's with a yeah. with a density of content. The density is that thing. Is that's the that's the similarity? Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the, that's basically it. But that well, and it's hilarious. But but that because yeah, when we did airplane, I think that was the biggest thing for both of us probably was just like every single line was a fucking joke. Yeah. And it, it pretty much this is too. Like, and they pay off. Like it's not really hit and miss. Don't call me They're Shirley. all funny. Yeah. Fuck. They're so funny. I love this movie. And again, like uh, when we, when there's a movie that we just love and it's there's nothing wrong with it, it's like kind of a boring podcast in a way because you get to this point you're like, yeah, no what tension. a good movie, right? Yeah, there's no tension. It's a great fucking movie, though. What do you want, man? But just enjoy great. the nostalgia and go, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask, where does this rank in your Mike Myers power rankings? Oh, I guess I don't know. Um, it's a tough one. I guess it's this and Wayne's it's World. In the mix. I might have to it's put this up. I think I have to put this at number one. I love Wayne's World, but it does feel a little. Oh, no, that's not even a bad. I don't know. I mean, white shoes. I love both. What's that thing from the... Yeah. Pokeolos Dos. Yeah, there, that's the one. Why not have both? Why not have both? We don't have to choose. Have crispy and soft tacos. We've got all this content out at our fingertips. Why choose? I love them both. Mm. Not mm-hmm. the guru. Mm-hmm. I tried to watch that recently thinking, you know, maybe there's value there, but it's really not good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, crack a few eggs making an omelette. Yeah, it's true. It's facts. Say, make omelettes, man. 
got to crack a few Greggs to make a tomlet. <laughs> Fuck, that's so funny, man. Anyway, what are we doing next week? Oh, clear and present. No, not clear and present danger. Wait, no, which one is it? Octo- hunt for the hunt. Hunt. We're hunting for October not, next not week. Not Ethan Hunt. No, that's coming the week after. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just confirming our very special guest who may or may not be a spy. Or have or have, or have, have spied. Has spied in the past, yeah. He's what are the odds of us spying. being able to get someone on the pod who's a podcaster and a former spy? And a comedian. And a comedian. That's a trifecta right there. Triple threat, I think that's what they call it. You'd be, I'd be a good spy if, you, if you're a funny person. I feel like that builds rapport and trust. Yeah. Actually, that's a good question. We'll ask him that next I feel week. There was, there's elements that could have made me a great spy. Mostly. Okay. Mostly I, I'm very observant. So if I, I could agree. Walk through, I could, I'm hypervigilant. Yeah, vigilant. I'm, I'm noticing everything. I notice. I could say, hey, look, there's such and such from Lola's daycare's cousin's mother on the other side of a shopping centre. Me too. I'm like, and you know, New York, there's some crazies around. I'm always like, all right, babe, let's cross the street because there's some crazy guy there. You know, yeah. like I'm watching. I'm scoping. I, I, always yeah, scoping. I'm with you. I'm a yeah. scoper. Yeah. Big scoper. I live in the, I live in the amber. If there's a red light, green light, I'm in the amber, man. I'm just seeing it all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm right there with you. We could be spies, man. Maybe maybe we are. Fuck. Keep going. Until Dave next week tells us we couldn't be spies. We'd be shit yeah. spies. <laughs> You'd be terrible spy. Oh, I mean, Austin Powers would be a terrible spy. In the yeah. 60s, he's immediately recognisable. Everyone's chasing him down the street. Yeah. How is he ever? <laughs> it makes no sense. Which is also hilarious. I fucking love yeah. it. Anyway, yeah. see you next week, gang. Leave a review. Sorry we yeah. missed last week, but it's great to be back in your ear hole. Yeah, good to good to have you back with your non man flunus. Yeah, thanks, man. Bye. Bye. Ask Tristan if he's recording you. What? Ask Tristan if he's recording you. I, I just started now. Just now. Oh. Okay. Yes. Okay. You t- tell us why you like I Pokemon. Need, I like Pokemon because uh, I need to. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. Guys, guys. Okay. Is this your study? Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lola, can you go outside and close, close the door? You're going to be really quiet. Yeah, you'll be really oh, quiet. I traded these threes for a V with um, uh, my friend called Spencer, which is basically my friend. Okay. And it there's extremely rare card and the and the um <laughs> the artwork that I could look very cool and it's extremely rare and I especially like the vines where you keep all of the cards. Okay. Because Great. they're really cool. There you have it.